Hi, it's David here. Last week we had our biggest audiences ever for this podcast, and we hope that means we're giving you the kind of information and analysis that you're looking for as we navigate the coronavirus pandemic. So please do share the show with others you think might benefit from it, and tell us what you think. Give us a rating through your podcast provider, or get in touch with the hashtag TheLeaderPodcast. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader Coronavirus Daily. Hi, I'm David Marsland. When the Queen speaks, does the nation still listen? She has been around for so long. She's seen all sorts of crises and she's continued to be solid and reliable and trusted and listened to. Associate Editor Julian Glover on how Her Majesty can change the mood of the country. Also... You don't want to look like you're gratuitously playing cheap politics, but at the same time... The public is crying out for answers. Evening Standard columnist Aisha Hazarika after Sir Keir Starmer becomes Labour leader. If the country's supposed to be coming together, what's the point of the opposition? Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the Leader Coronavirus Daily. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, the Queen's speech. How effective was it? This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you want a hot take on how influential the Queen is, have a look at the music charts. The subtlest of hints towards Dame Vera Lynn's We'll Meet Again in Her Majesty's Coronavirus Address to the Nation has propelled the more than 80-year-old song into the iTunes Top 40. But what are the long-term effects? Our editorial column says, substantial. The Queen's address brought the nation together. While we have faced challenges before... This one is different. This time we join with all nations across the globe in a common endeavor, using the great advances of science and our instinctive compassion to heal. 
No other head of state could refer, as she did, to a radio address they made eight decades ago, when our country faced a much greater peril. It reminds me of the very first broadcast I made in 1940, helped by my sister. We, as children, spoke from here at Windsor to children who had been evacuated from their homes and sent away for their own safety. Today, once again, many will feel a painful sense of separation from their loved ones. But now as then, we know deep down that it is the right thing to do. Hearing her talk of 1940 last night was extraordinary, but the fact that she had to make the broadcast at all so soon after the Prince of Wales also spoke from Scotland is a sign of how bad things are today. Amid the fear of economic ruin and personal loss, the people of our country, from the Queen to frontline workers, are showing their determination to bring us through to better times, as Her Majesty put it last night. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. Some sunny day. Our associate editor Julian Glover joins me over the phone now. And Julian, the Queen barely spoke for five minutes, but around 24 million people tuned in to hear her. Did it have an effect? The Queen's broadcast last night did have a powerful effect on the country. It had a big audience. But more than that, it brought something that we need at the moment, something familiar, a sense of a person we've all known all of our lives doing what she always does, which is speaking clearly and simply, not saying anything revolutionary, but linking to history and to a sense of a better future. 24 million people huddled around their televisions to watch the Queen's Address, Julian. That's quite an extraordinary moment for the country, isn't it? Only the Queen could do what she did last night in her broadcast, not because she has some unique insight, but just because she has been around for so long. She's seen everything. She's met everyone. Her memory of Prime Ministers goes back even before Winston Churchill. She's seen all sorts of crises, and she's continued to be solid and reliable and trusted and listened to. And right now, that's really important because it's a very frightening time for people, not just because of what's happening every day, which is alarming, but there isn't a crisis in the streets, there isn't any immediate threat to most people. What there is, is a huge uncertainty, a fear of what comes next, a fear of what comes next for the economy and a fear of what comes next for our health. And we need a plan. We need to know there's a plan. We need to know psychologically as well as practically that there's someone in charge. Now, the Queen isn't in charge, but she gives a sense of authority, a system that's there, that's going to sort it out, that's above people. I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us will say the Britons of this generation were as strong as any that the attributes of self-discipline, of quiet, good-humoured resolve and of fellow feeling 
still characterize this country. The pride in who we are is not a part of our past. It defines our present and our future. And of course, that sense of someone being in charge came at a really important time, didn't it? Because we had Boris Johnson being admitted to hospital over the weekend as a precaution, Downing Street said, on doctor's advice. And that followed him admitting on Friday in a video message that he was still suffering from symptoms of COVID-19, even after a period of self-isolation. Alas, I still have uh, one of the symptoms, a minor symptom of, I, have a, I still have a temperature, and so in accordance with government advice, I must continue uh, my self-isolation until uh, that symptom itself goes. The Prime Minister is ill. We don't know how badly ill. Everybody's hoping he recovers soon and easily. But he isn't clearly running the country in the way that you'd expect a Prime Minister to be able to do. And nor, it seems, is anyone else in government. There's always going to be disputes, different ideas of how to proceed. There were, in every crisis, there were in the Second World War. That's nothing new. But there's a sense then, and we need it now, that someone's in charge. And if the Prime Minister remains out of action, that will become a stronger demand. We'll need to see some clearer response, not just to be told everything's all right, don't worry about it. One thing that has changed too in the last 48 hours is the arrival of an opposition leader who's more than just credible, who's experienced, who's believable, who's honest, who's not some marginalised, bigoted figure from a rather dark part of Labour's psychology, but actually a credible national figure. He, I think, will help the sense that there is a diverse, capable democracy that's going to deal with this crisis in the way that only diverse, capable democracies can do. But for the next two weeks, at least, we're going to be asking what the exit plan is. Perhaps within two weeks, we'll get a sense of where things might be heading. We might see other countries beginning to change some of their policies. But right now, it's a frightening time, and the country's in need of leadership it can trust. Next. There are serious questions about the government's strategy, and they will expect the leader of the opposition to ask the questions they would want to ask themselves. Aisha Hazarika on the hopes and challenges for the Labour Party under new leader Sakia Starmer. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
with a thumping first round victory, crushing his opponents by taking more than 56% of the vote. Under normal circumstances, Sir Keir Starmer might be expected to launch his Labour leadership with a confident broadside against the government. Instead, one of his first acts was to speak to Boris Johnson and promise to work with him to get the country through the coronavirus crisis. Clearly, these are not normal circumstances. So how does an opposition work during a pandemic like this? Well, the Evening Standard columnist Aisha Hazarika is with me over Zoom. And Aisha, Sakir won an emphatic victory. So where does he take Labour now? Yeah, I think it's a really important moment for the Labour Party. I think it's a very positive moment. I think the fact that Keir Starmer won with such a, a big mandate is really important because it does allow him to refashion the Labour Party and, and, and try and you know change direction, if not from policy, certainly in terms of culture. And the other things which were really important is that the the NEC, the National Executive Committee, which is the board of the Labour Party, that also had some very interesting new appointments to it. And in Scotland, uh, the party elected a new deputy leader who is not from the hard left. So I think all of those things added up point to a Labour Party where the leadership and the members are keen to just try and have a party which is a bit more serious and a bit more grown up. I think the general consensus is that he is sober, he's substantial, and he's a serious man for very, very serious times. And I think the tone that he struck so far has been, you know, respectful to the people who went before him without gratuitously putting the boot in, but sending a very strong signal that he's in charge now and things are going to change. I think a lot of members and indeed the public, feel like there's a grown-up in charge again. He has come in, though, as you've said, at a very serious time for the country, at a moment when we're all being asked to come together and, and put up a united front. How does an opposition work in a time like this? It's quite a tricky balancing act for the opposition because you don't want to look like you're gratuitously playing cheap politics and trying to kind of score points and be you know sort of down in the the mud when there's this national health crisis when you know thousands of people are dying but at the same time the public is crying out for answers the public does want the government to be probed there are serious questions about the government strategy and they will expect the leader of the opposition to ask the questions they would want to ask themselves. So I think a balance has got to be struck. And I think he, Keir Starmer said this very articulately over the weekend, that he will work constructively where the government does the right thing. He will praise them and he will say that they have done the right thing, which is quite a difficult thing for the, for the opposition to do. You're kind of, it's in your DNA to just criticize and critique and, and, and say, oh no, this and rail against the government. But he also said, look, I'm going to ask the questions that, that matter and I will press you on those questions. And I think that's what people want. But I actually think this crisis provides him with a long term opportunity if he handles himself well. It's often difficult for leaders of the opposition to get any cut through with the public or with the media because they're not really important when there's a government with a big fat majority. The Labour leader would right now be completely irrelevant. 
But because this issue is so important and because the Prime Minister has invited him in to have these discussions, he does get a chance to to insert himself in the only street in town. He will be on the television at a time when the public will be glued to the news. So this gives him an opportunity for the public to get to know who he is. And if he conducts himself well, the public might look at him and think, yeah, I like the look of this guy. He looks quite prime ministerial, but he has to do it in a way which doesn't look like he's doing it for himself. He has to, if he acts in a way which he, where he puts country above sort of narrow party interests and does a good job, I think a lot of people might think, you know what, I quite like the look of this guy. There's going to be a lot of people in his shadow cabinet that he's announcing that the public don't know. For example, his shadow chancellor, Annalise Dodds, is not a household name. Yeah, I think his shadow cabinet appointments have been really interesting. They um, have shown that he's not Jeremy Corbyn, but nor is he Tony Blair either. He's very much his own man. So he's got rid of a lot of the arch Corbynites. Some of them are leaving anyway, like John McDonald, Jeremy Corbyn, Diane Abbott. But he has also um, courteously but firmly said goodbye to people like Ian Lavery, John Trickett and Richard Bergen, who was, you know, seen to be, you know, not a huge statesman for, for, for the Labour Party. Um, some Labour MPs have really been celebrating him leaving and saying it should be Richard, be gone uh, in terms of be off with you. But the Blairites will not be cheering either. They wanted people like, you know, Liz Kendall back. They wanted people like Pat McFadden. They wanted Rachel Reeves to be the shadow uh, Chancellor, but he's not done that either. He's selected a sort of new generation of Labour MP who the public maybe don't know that much about, but they're they're very good, they're very competent. So Annalise Dodds is his shadow chancellor. She was uh, an MEP. She's very well respected. She's been in the Treasury team uh, for a while now. And of course, she makes history because she's the first ever shadow female chancellor. There's never, ever been a female chancellor or shadow chancellor in Westminster in the history of British politics. So that is a first. Of course, it would be nice to have a female leader for the Labour Party, but that's not going to happen for, for a while now. So I think there's some, there's some really exciting appointments. Rachel Reeves has come back to the shadow cabinet, probably not the job she wanted as shadow chancellor, but still good to have her back. And I think what people are, are feeling is that we're going to have a shadow cabinet which just looks competent again and a shadow cabinet where we can see them on the television and not kind of have our sort of hearts in our throat thinking, oh, gosh, are they gonna, are they gonna sort of fluff it up? Is this gonna be a, a really embarrassing viral moment? And I think one of the things that Keir Starmer will be very keen to do is to, as well as promote himself as a competent, good leader, you know, no man is an island in terms of leadership. And I think what he will want to do is show that it's not just him, but he has this very accomplished team of people in his shadow cabinet. But beyond that as well, using the wider Labour network. So we have lots of metro mayors across the country, including Sadiq Khan. We have some really, really good Labour voices and very credible Labour figures across the country. And I think if Keir Starmer is smart, he'll not just promote himself, he'll promote that whole kind of family of Labour leaders so that when we do get to that next general election, when it will be tough for us, he can say, look, it's not just me you're voting for, look at this brilliant team of people across 
the country. I'm, I'm not just giving you myself as leader. I'm giving you all of these kind of people and they're bright and they're good and they've been delivering for you around the country. And that's The Leader. We have more of the latest and breaking coronavirus news on our live blog. You'll find that at standard.co.uk. And please do subscribe to this podcast through your provider and give us a rating too. We're back tomorrow at 4pm. Listener.